Hi, and welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune, the podcast where I look at the birth chart of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and by the time this episode drops, we will be mere hours away from having a new president and vice president of the United States of America. Before we get into our actual episode, I have a wonderful review that I want to read. As I have promised on past episodes, I will read any five-star review I got on Apple Podcast on my show. And today, I have a huge thank you to HFGSR332386, who left a review saying, quote, loving the podcast so far, astrology slash nostalgia and millennial talk. Love it. And HFGSR, if I can be so forward not to use your full name, I love you. You make me feel like Lizzie McGuire when she kisses Aaron Carter under the mistletoe in that Christmas-themed episode. I hope that with all my heart that you are doing well and that you are living your best life. And by best life, I mean joyously sipping on an Orbitz beverage and reenacting the intro of the Lizzie McGuire movie. The tide is high, but I'm holding on because you're going to be my number one. Thank you for your kind words, and I hope you stick around, mostly because millennial talk is the only thing I'm actually qualified to talk about. Please let me know where I can mail you a glow-in-the-dark Chart of Fortune sticker. This week's topic is about the history of Inauguration Day. It's one of those episodes that's a bit like combining an old school history channel program, we're talking pre-ancient alien program offerings, and an episode of Wendy Williams. It's educational, but judgmental, and prone to flights of fancy. I was enrolled in AP US history in high school, and I regularly watch daytime television while working from home, and that makes me uniquely qualified to host an episode like this. Take, for example, that Andrew Jackson served ice cream at his inauguration and later avoided the overwhelming crowds that had gathered to celebrate him by climbing into a tree and hiding out there for several hours. Oh, Andrew, you crazy old racist Pisces sun Virgo moon. I get to say that. I have a Virgo moon. See how much you're already learning, dear listener? Take that teacher who was mean to you but, like, was actually just going through her second Uranus square natal Uranus and tell her to leave. Listen, Linda, I'm really sorry that you're going through it, but you need to stop being such a jerk. In the style, if this style of episode intrigues you, then you should know that I did a two-part election series that looked at the birth charts of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, and the United States of America. It was recorded before the election, so spoiler alert, you're going to know how it ends. But a lot of the episodes center on nodal returns and Gemini Sagittarius eclipses, which are going to be an ongoing theme throughout this year. Also, one of my earliest episodes is about the United States Postal Service and is chock full of governmental goodness. And a shout out to Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon is, of course, right now rolling in his grave at the numerous shameful and illegal activities perpetrated over the last four years, forever obscuring his legacy as the most corrupt president in modern American history. Nixon's presidency was a different cultural epoch when eating cottage cheese with pineapple and being openly racist weren't as frowned upon as they are today. And if these kinds of episodes don't intrigue you, well, worry not. I'll be back next week with a second part of a two-part series on Sex and the City. Just like my Election Day episode, I harbor no illusions that if you are listening to this right now, you are not 100% fine. I am not 100% fine. Even though the United States has a long and storied tradition of peaceful transfer of power, in fact, that includes the Inauguration Day, The last four years, and arguably every day since November 7th when the election results were confirmed, have not been in any way peaceful. It probably goes without saying that I don't have a lot of intelligent or useful things to say about the chaos, felonies, and cruelty that have marked the last four years of our country's life. 
So I'm going to focus on the history of the inauguration in the United States. But you know, that's a little problematic as well. You should know that this episode does involve a lot of old white dudes. We're talking about the origins of the United States, cute old white dudes, and the 2021 inauguration ceremony, which is also going to involve at least one old white dude. Unlike some parts of our government and related governmental traditions, we've always had an inauguration day as long as we've had a president. So the birth chart of the first inauguration is April 30th, 1789, when George Washington became the first president of the United States. But the birthplace of the first inauguration took place not in Washington, D.C., but at the Federal Hall in the Financial District of what is now modern-day New York City. The first inauguration is a Taurus Sun, Cancer Moon. And it's not exactly clear what time the first inauguration took place, so as always, I use noon as the birth time. Coincidentally, this transfer of power from the current president to the president-elect is always going to be scheduled for noon on Inauguration Day. You might remember from a previous episode that the United States birth chart, so the birth chart of the country, has a cancer sun, and this inauguration chart has a particularly strong cancer moon. The sun from the USA's birth chart is at 13 degrees of cancer, and it's forming a tight conjunction to the inauguration chart's moon in 15 degrees of cancer. It's not uncommon for the moon to be in the same sign as your sun. It happens about once a month as the moon moves through the zodiac. But I'm interested in the fact that the United States birth chart has a Sagittarius rising, which puts its sun in the eighth house of other people's resources like taxes, inheritance, and even rules themes around death. The moon highlighting that eighth house on Inauguration Day suggests a really emotional moment in the country's sense of self. And this makes sense. The Revolutionary War ended about six years before the inauguration took place. So it was fresh in the minds of many people in the country. Come on, you guys, you watched Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. Don't lie to me. The war lasted for eight years, and it covered Eighth House themes like taxes. Remember that whole taxation without representation tea party? And the death toll of the war was about 6,800 6, lives that were lost. The Revolutionary War also seems to show up in the chart of the inauguration. Uranus in this inauguration chart has moved into Leo in zero degrees of that sign. Uranus is the planet of revolution and change has finally left the sign of cancer, which is the same sign as the USA sun sign. Uranus is now forming, when it was forming a conjunction to your natal sun, it can be a time where you feel immense change, maybe restlessness. Uranus can make us feel anxious. You know, feeling like something in your life needs to change. You just cannot keep doing what you've been doing. There's an air that you need to revolt against the powers that be that are in your life. For Uranus to be leaving Cancer and moving into Leo, it's about leaving a time of immense personal change and perhaps into a time of more stability. In the birth chart of the United States, Uranus in Leo is activating the ninth house of philosophy and higher learning instead of that 8th house sun, and Uranus in 0 degrees of Leo is forming a pretty loose conjunction to the USA's north node in 9 degrees of Leo. Uranus meeting up with the north node is about the start of something new, like in this case, maybe another part of a functional government. The role of an executive branch in democracy might be being highlighted. Make no mistake that in 1789, the USA is still working on how this new country of theirs, since they have gained independence, will actually work in the day-to-day -day functions. I also want to highlight that there are two Jupiter aspects in this natal inauguration chart from 1789. 
Jupiter is in the sign of Cancer. And again, I think this is a callback to that natal sun from the United States birth chart in Cancer as well. Cancer is in our own personal lives and in our chart often deals with themes of our home and sometimes our mother. But in a larger sense, when we're looking at a chart for an event or a country, we're going to be talking about our motherland, this patriotism, and even sometimes that dark side of patriotism, which is that Jangoist nationalism, where we put, you know, believe that our country is superior to everyone else and that there's not anything for us to glean uh, by being part of a global community. 22, uh, Jupiter is in 22 degrees of Cancer, and that is forming conjunction to that moon in 15 degrees of Cancer in the inauguration chart. Again, this is about an emotional shift that is taking place in our country. The national identity is being formed right now, as is the government. Inaugurations, it may go without saying, are momentous days in the United States. It symbolizes national pride and also the continued dedication to a peaceful transfer of power that is the result of a democratic election. We don't have a monarchy, and this is how we mark time between different people who are leading our nation. Jupiter and the moon being conjunct could make someone more emotional, like it's in your birth chart, but to me it also points to a sense of Jupiterian luck and generosity. And I think that George Washington, despite the fact that his teeth were made out of teeth from the enslaved, uh, did decide that he would embody a just and democratic ruler. He was not there to be a king or a figurehead. He really wanted to be a man of the people who worked in this new government to make America great. Not again. There's no again. There's no MAGA there. Just make America a nice place. Jupiter is also trying Saturn in 20 degrees of Pisces. Uh, Jupiter is able to have a positive influence on Saturn when they're that close together. And it can make those Saturnian hard work and goal setting uh, objectives come a little easier to the chart holder. If you have this placement, it probably means that you still have to work for what you want in this life, don't we all? But Jupiter can make your path a little easier. Opportunities might come more naturally for you. People might tell you that you can make those tough things look really easy. In this case, there's the wateriness of Jupiter and then the wateriness of Saturn and Pisces. And I think that also points to this watery trine being very intuitive. Jupiter, the planet of you know, happy-go-lucky energy, contacting the planet of structure and organizations makes me think of the dumb luck and also hard work that the Founding Fathers put in place and their foresight to construct a government comprised of three equal branches that would check and balance the powers of one another and any department or person that followed. Following George Washington's inauguration in 1793, every subsequent inauguration was held in early March with it happening on either the 4th or 5th of the month, and moving the inauguration from being a tourist to being into Pisces season. That means that every inauguration from 1793 to 1993, or 1933, excuse me, when it was in early March, is likely in the middle degrees of Pisces every year. And that would activate the inauguration chart Saturn in Pisces as well. It's not going to be an exact conjunction, but it's close enough, it's within like an eight degree orb for every year, that it's going to form a conjunction uh, nonetheless. That Saturn activation really makes a lot of sense to me that every year that there's an inauguration, so every four years, it's on March 4th or 5th, and that means that it's probably between like 11 and 13 degrees of Pisces, and that is hitting Saturn. That, in a way, that Saturn activation is saying, the structures that Saturn likes are being reinforced every year that that conjunction keeps happening. 
I mentioned that inaugurations happen on the 4th or 5th of each year, and there's a reason that two dates are listed. These are chosen because March 4th was the day the federal government began operating in 1789 under the U.S. Constitution. So they thought, we'll make it the same day. Now, sometimes it was March 5th because there were years where March 4th fell on a weekend. It happened four separate times in 1821, 1849, 1877, and 1921 in the 140 year tradition where we used March 4th as an inauguration day. There is a notable exception to this, and that happened in 1877 when Rutherford B. Hayes, noted Libra, and Rip Van Winkle lookalike was secretly sworn in on March 3rd. Let me give you some backdrop here because this is a really crazy story. The election was hotly contested, and unlike the 2020 election, it was actually a fraudulent one. I'll set the stage. We're post-Civil War, amid the Restoration period, and President Grant, who was president at the time, had been weighing whether or not he should run for a third term. This wasn't explicitly forbidden yet, so he wasn't like staging a coup or anything. This was something that wasn't quite in the Constitution, but also had never been done before. So you can see it's kind of a no-man's-land gray area. But he opted not to pursue a third term because his second term had been riddled with scandal. And then the House made it illegal to run for a third term. So the party had to pivot quickly, and they picked Rutherford B. Hayes for the Republican nominee. Hayes ran against a man named Samuel Tilden, a Democrat who was the governor of New York at the time. Now, this is where it gets confusing, unless you have worked with uh, U.S. history before. In this period of time, Republicans are more liberal, so they kind of look and feel like Democrats do today. Obviously, we just finished the Civil War, so there are definitely going to be some policy changes between, like, the Republicans of the 1800s and, like, AOC. But anyway, at this time, Lincoln, of course, had been a Republican, and the Republicans had many policy goals, but a prominent one was that they wanted to continue the restoration efforts that were taking place in the South after the Civil War. They thought this would help unify the country, and at the time, they also thought that, you know, it would be an easy way to get a lot of people who lived there on their side and vote for them later. Now, at the time the election finishes, three Southern states had voted for Tilden, that Democrat from New York, and they were South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. But it became clear that these victories were really not legit. They were the result of suppressing Black voters and violence towards those voters, and just straight up, TLDR, they're fraudulent. Technically, Tilden won the election with those fake votes, but they couldn't let him take office knowing that it was a fraud. So Hayes went to the Democrats, and they made a deal. He would overlook the fraud and violence, meaning no one would be charged for any of those crimes, and Hayes would become president. But as a concession, because, you know, uh, not going to jail for fraud isn't already one, uh, Hayes decided, hey, I'll remove all of the federal troops in the South, and that will end the restoration there, because that's really what the Democrats wanted. So on March 3rd, 1877, during this secret inauguration, the moon is in 25 degrees of Libra, and that is forming a conjunction to the inauguration's chart, Neptune, in 21 degrees of Libra as well. The emotional nature of the moon, the planet of our emotions, our psyche, meeting up with the planet of illusion and dreams, it sounds like really nice, doesn't it? I mean, I could see this placement in a sinistry chart. Maybe the moon person is emotionally supporting the Neptune person's dreams. It's very romantic. But you know, not all emotions are healthy and some dreams are actually nightmares. 
And in this case, the sign of Libra symbolizing equity and the moon symbolizing the deep emotions of the divided country. Neptune is giving us the illusion of equality and fairness, right? Like we struck a deal, win, win, win. It's the illusion of equity, a deal where North and South both get something they said they really wanted. But that's the thing about dreams. They're not really real. Their secret inauguration did mean that the fraudulent votes didn't put Tilden in office, which would have been terrible. But at the same time, the compromise meant that the desperately needed restoration of the southern United States was gone, off the table. Here is a real Neptunian thought for you. Things can be equal, but they might not be fair. Echoing this theme in the 1877 charts, Venus is in 17 degrees of Aquarius, and that is forming a conjunction to the original inaugurations charts, Pluto in 19 degrees of Aquarius. Venus and Pluto meeting up in this moment is about those Venusian values meeting up with Pluto, the planet of power and destruction and rebirth. The country is making strides at the time towards rebuilding, but Pluto it's not a linear path. It's it's not just about power, right? There's also chaos that's a part of it. The cost of making sure the fairly elected president took office, Hayes, that Plutonian power of the presidency, was relinquishing the goal of restoring the country and using the National Guard in the South to better ensure that Black Americans were not being disenfranchised, harms, and subjugated. And those values were coming under fire when Pluto and Venus met up. This unwritten deal that led us to the Hayes presidency basically disenfranchises every black man in the southern United States and sets into motion the violent behaviors that are not going to be addressed until the 1960s and, frankly, still haven't been resolved. But, you know, you probably didn't need me to tell you that last part. What you probably would like me to tell you is how we get from the beginning of March for inauguration to late January as the official inauguration date. When do we make the jump from mutable Pisces to the fixed sign of Aquarius for the official presidential inauguration day? The change in the inauguration date was the result of the 20th Amendment to the Constitution, and that was passed in 1933, so relatively recently. Since it's a constitutional amendment, it meant that the majority of the 48 states that existed then agreed to pass this amendment. I'd like to, I'd like to imagine the change in the inauguration date as one of those really corny 1990s movie previews. You know, it, it would be like for a kid's movie probably from Disney. You know what? I am not going to keep describing it. I will just tell you what I mean. I will show you what I mean. As with older episodes, I'm asking you to mentally go back in time. You're going to join me in 1997. You're going to grab your neon windbreaker, some really chunky white shoes that people would pay a lot of money for right now. You're going to close your eyes and I will explain. Coming soon to theaters. America was just a typical nation on the rise. Cool friends, great clothes, living the dream. There's only one problem. <laughs> After 36 states vote to move Inauguration Day to January 20th, the country feels more like the divided states of America. Join the U.S. of A. on a zany adventure as they outline the Senate's work schedule and instituting a lame duck period for the last four months of a president's term. They might change the date of the presidential inauguration, but never the long-held tradition of persecuting minorities. United States of America starts in 20th Amendment, coming to theaters January 23rd, 1933. Thank God for time travel, and the fact that that movie never got made. 
The 20th Amendment basically came about because of an issue with Congress. It was not a big deal, and it's still not a big deal, to have a four-month lame duck session between when the election occurs and inauguration for the president. But the Constitution was a lot less clear about other elected officials. Article 1 of the Constitution mandated that Congress meet every year in December, and they still do that. But in certain years, it would mean that Congress people might be elected in one year and not even get to work until the following December. The solution was to have the 20th Amendment move members of Congress from starting on March 4th to now starting on January 3rd, thus eliminating that really long lame duck period. Ultimately, it's clear that Congress never got the memo about having a work schedule that even vaguely resembles the average American's hectic work schedule. So thanks for that. But it also allowed for the vice president to become president if the president dies or provides guidelines for what to do if the president-elect is not able to serve. It was adopted on January 23, 1933, but voting on the amendment began on March 2, 1932, which puts us back into Pisces season and activating the original inauguration charts Saturn and Pisces placement again. It's basically saying the structure of government is once again being built up and solidified. And just like that, with March 4th, if January 20th falls on a weekend, it is moved to the following Monday. The Monday rule ended up being used in 1957, 1985, and most recently in 2013. This brings us to the chart that we have been waiting for, the 2021 Inauguration Day chart. This is the first birth chart I've ever done, where the birth time for a moment is one that hasn't happened yet. But there's a real chance that the inauguration will not happen exactly at noon tomorrow. Basically, it's scheduled to start at noon, but if you've ever been to anything that's highly choreographed, you know that things don't start exactly on time. So there is a chance that this chart will be a little different. Um, I did go back and forth on whether or not I should push it back a little bit. I don't think that they will be early because that never happens with these large scale events. But ultimately, I couldn't decide how far to push it back. And then I realized I'm just guessing at that point. So I think I should go with noon, which is the time that it's advertised to start. And it's the time that we typically use when we don't know exactly when a birth chart took place. So here we are, noon tomorrow, Washington, D.C. It's an Aquarius sun, Aries moon, Taurus rising. This might go without saying, but if the time that it starts moves by a lot, that rising is going to change. So be on the lookout for that. I don't think that will happen. The Taurus rising in this chart puts the sun in the 10th house, which rules public image, career, accolades. The sun is in zero degrees of Aquarius, meaning that it has just exited the sign of Capricorn. The Capricorn notions of power through established structures, rigidity, hierarchical ideals are in a way giving way to the more free-spirited and egalitarian views that Aquarius holds. But before you break out your best hair impression and start singing the age of Aquarius, Venus, which rules our values and our money, is still in Capricorn. The American government still values those Capricorn values. We have a lot of older structures, some of which I strongly feel we should keep. A little shout out to the USPS and others like ICE that I think we really need to consider ending. Kamala Harris will be entering her second Saturn return when all of this is happening. That's because her natal Saturn is in Aquarius. Now, for the true heads, it's in the 28th degree of Aquarius, so I expect we'll see some really interesting things happen towards closer to the midterms when we're in the later degrees of Aquarius. It depends on the astrologer, but I personally feel like anytime Saturn changes into the sign uh, that you were born into, so that's your Saturn return, 
that whole three-year period, two to three-year period is going to be significant for you. And there'll probably be some really significant singular events or days that probably correspond with the degree in which you have Saturn. But there are going to be a lot of themes that come up for you during this time. So there's probably some real changes coming up for her. Second Saturn return is about mastery and public image. And I think getting elected vice president uh, really fits that. Also noting that the sixth house in the 2021 inauguration chart is ruled by the sign of Libra, and there are no planets in Libra in that house. Kamala and her husband Doug are actually both Libra sun signs, and so their their sun is going to be activating that house. The sixth house gives us themes of work, routine, health, and it might mean that the vice president and the first man could take a starring role in some of the COVID health-related issues that we're working through as a nation. And it might also mean that, like many vice presidents, uh, Kamala could be asked to do those less than glamorous sixth house projects that definitely fall on the vice president's plate. Now, Joe Biden is a Scorpio son, so his son is illuminating the seventh house of the chart, which is about relationships and even open enemies. We've already seen that he's picked close relationships for many of the roles in his administration. And I think this could also point to some tension that he'll have between himself and his administration and those high-ranking Republicans in Congress, you know, like minority leader Mitch McConnell. But I do think and I do hope that this means that there will be him making inroads, maybe with those perceived enemies, and maybe more ideally making uh, inroads with liberal members of the Democratic Party who might worry that a Biden-Harris administration just really doesn't have their policy initiatives uh, in place. Maybe it's signaling to the rest of the world, too. So those outer relationships uh, that we have with the rest of the world, or we did, maybe they'll want to stop laughing behind our back, you know, or to our face, or sending my beloved laugh-crying emoji in secret text threads that nobody in the U.S. government sees. Because you know Angela Merkel loves herself a damn emoji. We also see that Kamala and Joe have their moon signs figuring prominently in the, the 2021 inauguration chart. They're forming conjunctions with prominent placements. Uh, in this chart, Kamala's moon is in 27 degrees of Aries, and for the 2021 inauguration, that is going to form a tight conjunction with that inauguration chart's Aries moon in 29 degrees of the sign of Aries. The moon in the 2021 chart is in the mysterious 12th house. I think that Kamala being the first female vice president is incredibly important and emotional, and maybe that's the moon signature. Um, but the 12th house is hidden to the chart holder. It represents secrets or even themes of confinement. Now, this is totally blue sky thinking. I really don't know how this is going to play out. Again, 12th house, very mysterious. But I really want that this moon meetup in the 12th house is about Kamala using her prosecutor background to do the vitally, vitally needed work in repairing and restoring, uh, you know, prison rights, mental health, you know, services that we desperately need as a country, and to really bring about reform in those spaces that has gone, you know, unnoticed for too long. Again, 12th House, don't know what to expect, but fingers crossed that we really reform the prison system and really beef up our mental health services as a country, because we need to. Joe has his moon in zero degrees of Taurus, and that's forming an inside conjunction to the 2021 chart's rising sign of Taurus. It's a less powerful conjunction because the degrees are a little wide. That's what I'm saying in sign versus, you know, that two degree difference that we saw in Kamala's moon. But I think that the moon, his moon being in the first house of the chart of self. So what, 
the image that is put to the world is really about Joe Biden being an, an openly emotional person, sharing his personal experiences. It's really been a part of his campaign. And I suspect that it's, you know, obviously not a huge guess that it'll be part of his presidential administration. I think that one, that's kind of who Joe Biden is. He talks about his life and experiences. And, you know, that's a way for him to build empathy with other people. But I also think that he doubles down on this because it's in direct contrast to Donald Trump who does not really offer those traditional president emotions like empathy and compassion that we like to see from our leaders. I just want to say that electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in no way means that the problems our country is facing and desperately needs to consider will be resolved, or that we will not have to do hard work and fight to have a better country. I know that when you listen to this episode tomorrow on Inauguration Day or whenever you choose to listen to it, that we will wake up and we will still have children in cages, people dying from COVID-19, Black lives being killed by law enforcement, and Republican elected officials who think that American families deserve 600 bucks every six to seven months to help them pay rent and buy food in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic. And to all of those things, I say, fuck you. Fuck you hard. But for one day, I hope that we can count this change as a win For one moment of tomorrow, I hope, or whenever you get a moment to reflect on the inauguration, that you are filled with a little bit of buoyancy for all that is yet to come. I hope that you get to take a moment tomorrow or sometime soon to simply appreciate that the dark chapter that is Donald Trump's presidency is really over. I want to end this episode on a hopeful note. My plans for Inauguration Day definitely include pretending to work from home, drinking adult beverages in a coffee mug, because again, pretending to work from home, and playing Brand New Day from The Wiz on repeat until my coworker, who is also my husband and a friend of a friend of the pod, begs for the madness to end. I know The Wiz was made a good decade before I was born. I know it is in no way relevant to the Trump presidency or the incoming Biden-Harris administration. But the song I'm referencing, Brand New Day, made it to number one on the charts in both Belgium and the Netherlands. And the Benelux countries know a bop when they hear it. They just do. The gist of the song is this. And this might hit home. At the end of the movie, evil queen Eveline has been defeated, her subjects freed from her harsh and evil rule. And the Wiz, an all-powerful being, is revealed to be a failed politician from a tacky gold building in New York City. I mean, a failed politician from Atlantic City, New Jersey. He was transported to Oz after losing an election and, sorry, I feel like I've seen this movie somewhere else and you were there and you, you were there too. It feels so weird. Hmm. That's odd. So whether you're a Joe or a Kamala, or you just never thought you'd make it to January 20th, 2021, dear listener, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email me or DM me on Instagram. Contact information and a list of sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. No hazels were harmed in the making of this episode. Chart of Fortune is researched, written, edited, and hosted by me, Elise Blaylock. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people all over the world find this podcast and reminisce about the early 2000s. I want to say I have listeners in 10 countries and 16 states, and it is truly in part because of your telling a friend or having them tell a friend 
or just leaving a nice review. It means the world to me, and I am so grateful that you choose to spend time listening to this podcast. Until next week, I do solemnly swear that I will support and uphold pop culture and astrology against all enemies online or IRL. I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and I take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or other more productive hobbies. I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of this podcast. So help me our Lord and Savior, Brittany Jean Spears. Bye!